and welcome back to the Conscious Contact Podcast. My name is Janae of RenewPlanner.com. And I'm Susan. I am the writer and speaker behind SustainableSue.com. We are going to talk about something wonderful today. (laughs) And by wonderful, she means I am dizzy already because I'm holding my breath at how difficult it's going to be, which means it's going to be great. It's going to be really great. It is. It is. It is difficult stuff to talk about, I think, for most people. And I, you've got it written down how I said it, and I don't remember how I said it. So I'm going to let you tell me specifically (laughs) what direction we're going. (laughs) Yeah, the topic today is how we were raised, and more importantly, the impact on how we turned out. Yeah. And a couple things I want to preface this. I just said, you start, and now I'm going to like completely jump in. Please. So two things I want to preface this with. The first thing is with is that this, and I'm going to speak for myself, and you can agree or or not. Yeah. Um, this that I'm about to share is my experience. Like you could consider this like a podcast memoir to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. Memoir is my experience. Um, there are always three realities. There's mine. There's yours, and there's what actually happened. Yes. Because every fact and data of an experience is colored by a person's experience. Yes. So some of the examples and things of what we're going to, what I'm going to share are colored with my experience. The second thing is, is that, um, we are not experts. No God. So (laughs) some of the things that you may hear may, you know, spur some things that really feel true for you listener. Mm -hmm. And if you feel like that is just touching a raw nerve, I am not sorry. And yeah. I want you to find a professional to talk to about that. Agreed. And um, spurring off of that too, because I try to keep this in mind, it's hard because I'm selfish. If this doesn't spur anything for you and you're like, my childhood was great, you can just listen to this and be entertained. You know, yeah, and maybe it'll help you understand other people in your life. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Yeah, I, I am thrilled for you. Yes, G- kind of. I, well, I I'm working on that, and I'm thrilled for you that you think that. And I'm gonna call balderdash because I think yeah. you might not be looking hard enough because mm. there are probably some things that you wish would have gone a different way. Yeah. Um. And if you think everything's perfect, see previous, please find a professional yes. <laughs> to help you yes. unpack some of that. Yeah. If, if, why do you think it was so perfect? Yeah. <laughs> I love the emotion oh. that you just showed. We with need that. video. Oh my God, oh. we do. So listeners, please uh, rate and review this podcast. <laughs> the more that we get, the more likely we are to do a video format because I don't want to do it if nobody's going to, well, I kind of do want to do it if no yep. one's going to watch it, but I think it would make more sense if we have more people that are listening. Um, and again, as with all of these episodes, uh, piggybacking off what you were saying, if you hear this and you feel seen or heard, or this makes you think of someone, or it just helps you look at things in a different way, send this to someone else. Yeah. And, and if it makes you think of them or if you were like, hey, wow, it, this really made me look at this a different way, just share it around because mm-hmm. that's how this is going to grow and that's how we continue to have more conversations yeah. and send us feedback. Like, tell us what you want us to talk about. If you're like, hey, that episode on how you were raised was too short, we will mm. reluctantly do another one, but we're probably not going to unless you say something. Right. So we need, you're a part of this conversation. Um, so yeah, share it, respond, review, all of those fun things. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to take us in the Wayback Machine. Yes. And I want to start with sharing one of the, I'm going to call it a formative memory. Let's mm-hmm. get like super deep, super fast, because that's what we do. Yes. Um, I must have been maybe seven or eight, and I remember getting stung by a bee in my sleep. So I was just kind of, you know, when it's buzzing around and you're half asleep and I was kind of batting at it half asleep and it, I must have trapped it between my hand and my neck because I got stung in the hand and I got stung in the neck. Uh. 
And so I'm just crying and I come downstairs. My parents' bedroom was on the downstairs. Mine was upstairs. And I tell him I'm crying and I go to her side of the bed and I'm like, mom, I got stung by a bee. And her response was to my eight-year-old self, what do you want me to do about it? And I was like, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) And I, my memory of that eight-year-old was I snapped out of my crying and I fucking fixed it because I am too much trouble. Mm -hmm. Like, and so that was sort of my underlying wave. I'm like waving my hand here. Mm -hmm. My underlying wave is that I am a pain in the ass Mm -hmm. and I just need to fix my problems Mm -hmm. before I bother anyone else with them. Yeah. 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 So I'm wondering if you have something that is in in the way back childhood. I think our teens are a whole, that, a yeah. whole another. I don't remember appeal. a whole lot of that. So that yeah. would be interesting. That'll be interesting to talk about too. Yeah. Um, or what's the earliest you go back <clears throat> that you think you can uh, recall back to of how you were raised and how it informed who you are? Yes. Uh, first off, I do want to touch on like regional differences. So where did you grow up? Just oh, yeah. broadly, yeah. factually. Yeah. I grew up in the Northwest corner of Indiana. Okay. The gist of it is we were a suburb of Chicago. So oh, when I talk I, about I didn't know that, yeah, yeah. yeah it, I mean, it technically was Indiana yeah, and yeah. a small town cornfield, you know, well, we'll talk about that in another yeah, episode, yeah. but it was very small town. But we were maybe 30, 40 minutes outside of Chicago. So a lot of people might live in my town and commute to Chicago, et cetera. Cool. Mm -hmm. I love that. Also, I've never been stung by a bee. I'm going to knock on some wood. So like, I can't even imagine. That makes it even more like my heart goes out to tiny Susan. Like, well, I don't want to waylay us too much by telling a funny story, but I'll tell you offline about the bee that flew up my shorts last week. Oh shit. Yeah. So that was super fun. Oh God. I'm, I'm itchy now. Um, I hate, I hate that. We have a, a, yeah, I'm going to get sidetracked. We have murder, Japanese murder hornets in this neighborhood. Yeah. It's an issue. I have to call HOA. Anyway, now that I'm thoroughly like scared of something completely different than what we're talking about, um, which is good. Now we're both scared. I know. Okay. So, you know, where this, did you grow up? I, okay. Let me start with that easy stuff. I grew up in, um, Millbrook, Montgomery and Prattville, Alabama. So they're all very close to each other. One is, I mean, Montgomery is the capital. It's the city. Um, and the Millbrook and Prattville are like, Millbrook is more of like a suburb and Prattville is kind of suburby, but then you get into like the vastness that is rural Southern Mm. states. Um, I wouldn't recommend it. Alabama, I'm sure is fine, but I would never go back other than like just to very quickly visit. Um, Mm. I, it's hard for me to think back into that area. Um, a lot of it was not great. Um, I mean, similar to what you shared, it's a lot of those formative first formative memories for me are like (laughs) not positive things that color the rest of my existence, which is kind of why we're talking about this. Um, okay. So I think the first one I've been like debating if I was going to settle on this or not, but I mean, it really is the, the first one that I can really think about. We were living in a house in Montgomery and I had this, uh, like a, I don't know if it was a desk or like a short dresser that had a, like a cabinet above it. What do you call that? A hutch, a, uh, like a dressing table with a mirror, not a mirror, but it had shelves. Yeah. hutch. Like it sits on top of the other piece of furniture, but it's separate. Um, so that was in my room at the time. And I did not know that they were not connected to each other Mm. and they weren't connected to the wall. And one of my teddy bears was up there. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. It was either a teddy bear or like a toy that I wasn't supposed to play with. or I don't know. And I climbed up on the chair and then onto the uh, base. And then I like grabbed onto the the hutch part and got the toy down. And I guess everything was fine until I had like gotten down and it slowly fell onto me. I don't even remember how old I was at this point, like five, six, 
I don't know. I, that whole time's blurry. I might have been younger than that. Anyway, the hutch landed on me. Luckily, like my head landed in a cubby, like mm-hmm. a shelf area. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember screaming at this. Like it, I wasn't in a whole lot of pain, but I was just like, I can't get out. Yeah. yeah. And my, I think it was my, I call him my stepdad. They were never married. Um, but I think he came in and got it off of me. And then I remember my mom was just immediately annoyed. Mm. And I couldn't move. Like my, I was in so much pain. Like the pain wasn't at the beginning, but then it started to to materialize because they were like, okay, let's walk you into the living room, and get you on the couch. I couldn't walk. It was so painful. Oh. And I was not taken to the hospital. Um, I just was like, sleeping it off on the couch rub some dirt in it yeah and I was screaming because I needed to go to the bathroom and I couldn't get up so I'm like trying to pull myself with my hands to the bathroom and my I used the restroom on myself because I couldn't make it and it's kind of similar to your like I was that was an inconvenience yeah for my mother to like put that broadly um, and I won't go into details of what happened after that. I had a, a decently, like, abusive childhood. But I just, again, it was very, okay, I don't need to bother people. Um, I need to do this on my own. It was very, like, a you need to be self-sufficient, like, right now. Like, a very, you're going to grow up in this right. moment. And there's no more, like, for me in my head, there was no more, like, kid times that's right yeah 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 and it really manifests itself through like I can think of well before you you know hit record I could think of a million examples now I can't the gist of it though is what is important is you're no longer a kid yeah yeah so it was expecting to figure out everything like Mm -hmm. I you know I think about um you know my picking a college um periods yeah sex and dating and boys um and it really was so pervasive yeah yeah and so quick like Mm -hmm. just night and day like oh and and um I also um, I feel myself backpedaling a little bit and I truly, truly believe this, that my parents were doing the best they could. Oh, sh- yes. And my dad is still alive. My dad is still doing the best he could. I don't mean it like, no, he's not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I feel the same way. I think that with the skills that they were given from their parents and their lived experience right. and the shit that they dealt with yes. that we have the opportunity you know I've got my notes here and and I said this you know dear listener I said this to Janae before we hit record like I know that this conversation lends itself to um free-flowing not relying on notes yeah but y'all I've paid a lot of money <laughs> same <laughs> to identify these patterns and therefore I wrote down these patterns yes, because I think they're dollars. important to talk about yes. yeah <laughs> it's the best money I, I've ever spent agreed yep so Caveat is my parents did the best they could. Yes. And I still struggled with that turning because kids, yep. kids are, are watching mm-hmm. um, and absorbing a whole lot more than parents give them credit for. Yep. And I say that as a step parent um, who has done some things that I'm not very proud of either. Mm doing the best I can and now I know better yes. I'm doing better yeah and I still owe them apologies and amends for different things so when I say like kids are watched like I watch the sighing and the the sucking of the teeth you know yes like, you yeah. know the 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 literal signs and symptoms that I was too much mm-hmm. and therefore tried to that feels shitty First of all, when you see that. Yeah. And so my goal in life was to never see that, to never be in the way. Yep. And how that, um, so of course it was taking care of things. Like Mm -hmm. I'm just going to learn this on my own. Yeah. And 
therefore the flip side is true when I was quote unquote perfect Mm -hmm. or gaining those accolades that's when I saw I wasn't getting eye rolls and teeth sucks and being too much I was being um I was bringing joy to them is what I saw. Yeah. I was going to get positive attention when I was perfect. Mm-hmm. And we're not talking A's because though that's what I was expected to do. Mm. I needed to get A pluses. Wow. Yeah. So the per- that's where the perfectionism comes in. It mm. wasn't just avoiding being a pain in the ass. Yeah. It was, well, now I'm tired of just not being a pain in the ass. Yeah. I'm so... Um, obsessed with getting any gold stars in my family. Like, yeah. how do I do that? And attention that's where the perfection. Love. Yes, the yeah. attention and the love. I can't yeah. even say the word attention. Isn't that funny? That didn't come to my... The word attention didn't come to my attention. Yeah. Yeah. So perfectionism was the next um, layer of hell. Yeah. Besides having to figure it all out. And what age did you realize you were doing that in school? Um, well, I was approximately like 44 when I realized I was doing <laughs> No, that. I mean, looking back on it now, do you realize what grade you, you thought, oh, wow, okay, I'm expected to get A's, so now I have to get more? Um, the, the time I remember, uh, and I'm going to just call it getting accolades because it wasn't <laughs> always academic because yeah. I was around fifth grade when... Um, I came home and my mom was a teacher in the same school system where I was in school. And so it was very common for teachers to talk to each other. And so when the PE teacher had already told my mom that I got the longest score for the standing long jump, not just uh-huh. the longest for the girls, not just longest for the boys, the longest ever. Oh my God. And how amazing that was that I had this incredible athletic feat. I was like, oh, yeah, light oh, bulb moment. Yeah. yeah, I can do this again to the point where like, I didn't want to do the flexed arm hang because I could only like stand there and shake, you know, for 30 <laughs> seconds. I couldn't get the longest. So I didn't yeah. just need to be good. I needed to get the est. Ooh. I needed to be the superlative. So that what is that? 10 years old? Fifth grade ish? Ish? Fifth grade ish? Our fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. Yeah, that sounds about, yeah, mm-hmm. sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. I... I had the same thought process during that time. I, I loved school and I realized that that was kind of like an escape. Mm. Everything was fine at school. You yeah. know, like I got fed people, like the teachers told me what to do. I, school was very easy for me. So I didn't have to try very hard. And I got, you know, the gold star, the attention, the love. Yeah. And it, it was, yeah, it was kind of like a safe safe place for me and I started reading like really early as a form of like escapism um did you notice that that started like the reading aspect started early for you too oh absolutely not no no and I mean I could read before kindergarten my mom was a super reader and that's one of my favorite things I got from her is my love of reading however my sister was always the smart one So we had this balloon race. I mean, environmentalism aside, this was the (laughs) 80s. So for every book you read, you got a balloon. And I remember from one time, the balloon race, uh, my sister had like 60 or 70 balloons. Holy moly. And I was thinking, I was like a badass because I had 15, like one of the most for my class. Yeah. She's two years older than me. But I remember my dad, who worked in the steel mill at the time, Took off work to come to the balloon race. Like, realistically, it was probably a federal holiday. Yeah, yeah. But in my first grader (laughs) mind, dad took off work Mm. to come to the balloon race for my sister. And here I am with my dumb ass 10 balloons. Like, Uh. I'm not the superlative in my own family. So it didn't count if it wasn't the most. most. Ah. Right. So reading was never where it's at. And... um. So no, I didn't. It wasn't reading. Huh. I, I love listening to you talk about that because I am the, I, I don't know if I would say I'm the opposite of a perfectionist, but I definitely don't have that tendency because of what happened in like eighth 
ninth grade if we're moving up into that area. Before we move to that area, yeah. I want to ask one thing about school. Yeah. Because you've said before you do like rules and bumpers. Yes. Is that why you think you liked school and excelled in school? Yes. I had I had clear the expectations. Yeah. yeah. And at home, I did not. I never mm-hmm. knew what mm-hmm. I was walking into. Like yeah. one day it might be good for me to be silent and in a corner. And then the next day it might not be. Right. And it was very like inconsistent and unpredictable and school was not school was like okay you're gonna do this at this time you have a test on this day you do you know mm-hmm. that was really easy for me the part that was not easy was the other human beings aspect <laughs> right. I love the teachers um, I was uh, exposed to other adults outside of school and that was it I was not socialized um, I didn't hang out with other kids mm-hmm. like that just wasn't not unless they were my cousins and they were all younger than me. Because you're for an one. only child. Yes. Mm-hmm. And my mom didn't hang out with people that had kids. Um, and if they did, they were like infants, definitely not mm. my age at all. Uh, so interacting with other people was really difficult. And that just made me like, I just, I don't even know how to put it other than I felt like an alien. Mm-hmm. And I legitimately did not understand how to communicate with them. Right. <laughs> Like it just made no sense to me. And that just made me lean even lean even harder into books and school. Yeah. Cause I if I was just the class nerd, there was no expectations on me right. hanging out with other people. Yeah. Yeah. I felt very similar in that I felt like an alien. Mm. Um, and we had lots of kids in our neighborhood. There are probably 10 kids just on one street alone wow. that we hung out with. And played and, you know, I have a sister, but I always felt like such a weirdo. And I think it goes back to, you know, I don't remember what episode it was where I was talking about um, having no opinions. Mm. And so I don't remember this, but it's a famous story in our family where, um, so my bedroom is across the hall from my sister's and my mom would come in our room and Susan, what do you want to wear today? And I would just shrug. I wouldn't talk. I just shrug. And my sister would run across the room and be like, she wants to wear this. And I'd be like. Like, I wouldn't even talk, like, whatever, you know, whatever. To the point where in kindergarten, they were going to hold me back because they thought I wasn't emotionally ready for first grade because I never talked. Oh, wow. And there, the the through line is, well, she never needed to talk because her sister talked for her. But I beg to differ that I didn't want to say the wrong thing. Mm, Because it might not be the perfect answer. Right. Yeah. Because opinions are perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you tell me what I should want, then I'll want that. Yeah. No, I I do get that sentiment for sure. Yeah. So I definitely, what I I also want to get across for anyone listening who is, those weren't quite my experiences, whatever. Finding the commonalities is what I think we're doing here. That it's the same feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter how you get there. Yeah. And I wonder if um, listeners might be able to identify with some of the different feelings that we're talking about. Yeah. Today. Yeah. I, yeah. Feeling anyway, very isolated. Yeah. Yeah. Was a lot of that. And I hear that for you too. Like not feeling understood, not feeling cared for. Yeah. Um, so eighth grade, you were saying something about eighth grade. Yeah. You know, eighth grade, I, I had a similar situation. I realized that like doing well was just expected of me at that point mm-hmm. because it was easy. And I just did. And I quit getting attention mm. for doing well because it was just expected that I was going to do well. And that's mm-hmm. the only attention I was getting right outside of school was that, you know. Yep. So I went the opposite direction. Mm. And I was like, if I'm not going to get attention for being good, I'm going to be real bad. Mm-hmm. And I did. I succeeded <laughs> in that <laughs> and endeavor. And you did get attention for being bad. A hundred percent. Funny thing is, only for a little bit. Interesting. And then that became expected. Yeah. Well, and let's pause for a second because we're going to use the terms good and bad. Yes, yes. In a very generic societal norm yes. way. And I will go into more detail on that for sure. Yeah. That's fine. And and you do and you don't have to because what I also want to get across is everybody's version of good and bad is going to be very different. Yes. So someone's idea of bad um, could be very mild, and this isn't yeah. to say that like <laughs> if someone's version of bad isn't yours, their feeling 
that they did bad things is wrong. Exactly. Because we all have our own. This is a spectrum. Yeah. And whatever I am saying is me. And that's it. Right. <laughs> and that's all I've got. And I dare say it's you looking back with, you know. Yes. Therapy. I, um, yeah. Therapy, sobriety. Yeah. All of that. For sure. 15-year-old mm-hmm. um, Janae wasn't probably saying, ooh, I'm so bad. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah. Go ahead. You want to talk about that? <laughs> yeah. 13, 13, eighth grade. Um, not great. Uh, not great emotionally just because I was searching for attention and I was doing that by and being bad for me was using drugs and alcohol and hanging out with the wrong people that were right for me and what I wanted. Mm. Um, I intentionally sought out older people that were partying and had access to the things that I wanted. And it very quickly became a problem for me. And I for me, I think that was always in the cards, like genetically mm. and the nurture aspect. Mm-hmm. I would have had an issue with something. I mean, I was already addicted to attention. Mm-hmm. So it just morphed itself into something else. I needed that hole filled mm-hmm. with something and I wasn't going to get attention. So I was like, oh, well, I'll use drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I mean, I was still doing fine in school because it, it that wasn't an issue for me, luckily. Uh, but it continued to spiral from there into um, like high school years and stuff. And it was lying, uh, skipping school, uh, using legal substances, you know, being doing lots of risky behavior in general mm-hmm. to make myself feel something. And I got attention for being bad at first. Like you get reprimanded. I think I maybe got grounded. Mm-hmm. Um But to kind of shed light on that and talk more broadly, my like parents were not, they were not unique, but they were not with like quote unquote normal, whatever that means. Like if you're talking about a Hallmark movie, (laughs) Um, my parents are both hippies and they separated when I was like two and my mom and my stepdad were both hippies. I mean, there was like jam bands sessions in the back on the weekends and you know lots of tie-dye just to put a topical note on it (laughs) and not talk about all the other stuff you know it was a very open very um they were doing the same behaviors I was at 13 you know what I mean so Mm -hmm. my stepdad wasn't in the picture then but I've been taught to idolize that artistic hippie free lifestyle Mm -hmm. so when I started doing bad things I got reprimanded at first but then it was just like oh this is what life is mm-hmm. and it became very normal. Mm-hmm. So did you find yourself like, was it hard for you to like put in that extra effort at school? Like did it rub you the wrong way and then it just became second nature or did it always feel like an effort? Um, Say more about the question. Did what always feel like an effort? What's the it in that question? Having to over excel. Uh, school was pretty easy for me until, until probably, um, so we got to things like my junior and senior of high school when I was taking advanced chemistry, calculus, things like that. Chemistry. (laughs) I changed school so I didn't have to take chemistry to graduate. It's ironic (laughs) considering how much you like to cook and bake because yo, that is chemistry. It is, but I hate it hated it we had a really intense teacher too but that's neither here nor there (laughs) um so school felt pretty easy and so how the need to excel came about or manifested itself I should say is um athletics Mm -hmm. and school and then Gosh, I just so related to what you're saying about like eventually the attention stops coming. Yeah. And so then I joined the yearbook staff and then I started writing for the newspaper. Are we the same person? Right. (laughs) And then I was the sports editor of the yearbook and then I was the editor in chief of the yearbook. Yeah. And then I wasn't just on the team. I was captain of the team. And then... Mm -hmm. I was trying to get a scholarship for college and then it needed to be a division one college. And then it was going to be the um, West Point Military Academy. Like, oh yeah, I kept 
having to do more. Mm -hmm. I think this is a perfect spot to pause and talk about today's sponsor, Renew Planner. When I was looking for a paper planner to not only help me plan my life, but to remind me to do the things I know are important in my recovery program, I couldn't find anything. I Googled everything I knew possible. I tried out a whole lot of different planners that were geared for other people. And with the support of my boyfriend, I decided why not try to make one? I knew that if I was looking for it, someone else is probably looking for it too. So I created Renew Planner. It has sections to not only plan your adult life activities, but it's also got reminders for meditation and mindfulness, setting up your own daily routine, your ideal day, journaling, and much more. So if you or someone you know is on a recovery journey or just wants a place to be more organized mentally, head on over to renewplanner.com, R-E-N-E-W planner.com and use the code CC10 for $10 off your first order. Hi, it's Susan from SustainableSue.com. On the Conscious Contact podcast, we talk a lot about below the surface level and what things feel like and what change might mean and how we approach the need to change. And once we decide that something different needs to happen, a lot of times we're frozen. And I've worked with a lot of people, but mainly women, that get stuck on where to start. So what I did is created some resources and pulled them together in the Sustainable You program. Basically, it's 15 to 20 minute lessons that break down where you could start to begin to live a life you don't need to escape. There's health and fitness, there's mental well-being, there's environmental surroundings, there's habit change. You could take them all together or individually at your own pace. So if that's something that sounds like it might be interesting for you, and now you just want to figure out where to start, head over to sustainablesue.com slash course, and we'll get started today. And then in order to keep all the plates spinning and be the appearance of the dancing monkey, boy, we had to hide the shit that was going wrong. Yeah. There was going to be like, you could not see any of the cracks Mm -hmm. and just the insane lying. So I remember this one so before track practice, we had to run a certain distance, like the uh, throwers ran uh, this and then the distance runners ran that and sprinters, whatever. And then we would all come upstairs and stretch because we were warmed up. So this one time um, I had a boyfriend and we were playing hacky sack in the gym. I don't know why, but I, that's it was what a, you do. Right. Yeah. I was like, oh, boy, I'm going to play hacky sack. I don't like hacky sack, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> And so I ran out of time to run my warm-up lap around the school. And Coach Witt is like, did you run your warm-up? And I was like, yeah. He goes, you did not. He said, I saw you in the gym messing around. What in the world did I think I was going? Like, it was just automatic. Like, of course I did what I was supposed to. Of course I ran it. Yeah. And he... And then, of course, he's like, oh, go run, whatever. So I didn't get in trouble Mm -hmm. for my lie. But, like, that is an example of what I see of my default mechanism was if I wasn't doing what was expected, I was going to lie about it. Mm. Um, Do you, did you ever, and this could be a no answer, and if yes, please expand, um, (laughs) Did you ever come to a point where you realized that that expectation of perfection and excellence wasn't necessarily coming directly from parents anymore and was more so your own, like, weight to carry? Or did that never happen? That did not occur to me until I was probably in my 30s. Really? Yep. Which is bananas to think about. Not really. I'm right there. (laughs) get it (laughs) like I just want to go back and you know like I picture all of these activities if you think of like popsicle sticks yeah like I just want to go back to 20 teenage something year old Sue and just take them all out of her hands and say yeah you don't need to do this you don't need to like so that same track coach let me give you an an example of um someone that introduced me to that thought so this was my senior year 
And just to set the table, I um, was uh, seventh in my class academically. I got a full-ride scholarship to Division One school, tuition, reward, books, and fees, and my wow. parents wouldn't have to pay a dime. Yeah. I was editor of the yearbook, um, captain of the basketball team, captain of the track team. I was the MVP of both. I was, the, oh like, God. I had my shit together. Yeah. And... Outwardly. It, outwardly. Yeah. Thank you. That's so good. <laughs> um... And I could hear like 17 year old me just now say in my head, but you didn't have a date to the prom. Yeah. Cause I didn't, which was a whole other topic, but it was the day of um, a track meet, an indoor track meet, our conference track meet for indoors. And my mom just was mad at me about how I was behaving, mm. which looking back, I was an asshole, but I wasn't a bigger asshole than any 17 year old. I wanted to be yeah. by myself. Yeah. I wanted to be in my room with the door shut I um, wasn't talking a whole lot. I didn't feel like I had a lot to share. Yeah. Which breaks my heart. Now looking back at it, she just was on and on. At one point she was like, you're fucking up your life and I don't give a shit. Wow. Meanwhile, like the bus is about to leave. Yeah. I need to get to it. And I just was bawling my eyes out. Yeah. And she refused to take me to the bus. My dad didn't take me to the bus. Finally, my sister who was home from college is like, let me get you in my, the phone's ringing, like mm-hmm. this is pre-cell phone. And I could hear my sister being like, my mom's talking to her. She's coming. Yeah. So they're waiting. Like who, a coach holds the bus for someone, right? Yeah. Um, none. I know you're not Sporty Spice. So none, today. <laughs> okay. Like, no, you don't hold the bus. <laughs> so finally, I'm like 15 minutes late and I'm never late for anything. You yeah. know that. Yeah. And, Coping mechanism. Right, yeah. right. And my sister drives me there and I'm bawling. And Coach Witt is like, uh-uh, sit right here. And so I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to be in trouble. Da, da, da. Yeah. He's like, you're not in trouble. What happened? Yeah. And I'm not ready to cry talking about I this. I know. And so I told him everything. And I was like, and now I'm going to throw poorly because mm. I'm all crying. And da, da, da. he said, you know what? I don't care yeah. how you perform today. Yeah. And I was, I was a shot putter. And so he says, your worth as a person is not dependent on how you can throw that eight pound ball. Yeah. He said, Sue, I don't care if you throw it all today. Yeah. And that was the first time I had ever heard that. Until mm. clearly to this day, you know, I'm bawling about it. And that is what I wish I would have known sooner. Yeah. And, you know, eventually I stopped crying and, um, spoiler alert, I, of course, won the meet because that's what I did. Of course you did. But it didn't sink in until probably 20 years later. Yeah. What he said and that he meant it. Yeah. Because he wasn't saying course, to placate you. Right. I had all kind of people blowing smoke up my ass. Like, we're going to respect whatever choice you make, whatever college you go to. Mm-hmm. And then I would call that coach and be like, you know, I'm actually not coming to that school. Yeah. And I had adults telling me what a terrible person I was because I wasn't coming to their school. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the ability to trust myself mm-hmm. and other adults was really messed up for yeah. a long, long time. Yeah, I, it's so interesting to like, and I feel this in a lot of different scenarios, but people can have very different specific scenarios that happen in their childhood. I mean, just specifically, I, I'll talk about that in a second, but I I wasn't a sports person, but I. We call them athletes. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) See, this is what I'm talking about. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But no, like I did not play sports I was not an athlete um because of a very like very different scenario but very similar feeling that it left within me I played soccer when I was younger I I can't remember when it had to have been like late elementary or early middle school I'm not really sure and I did wonderfully in soccer However, the reason that I did wonderfully in soccer is because my mom intentionally pissed me off before each game because she said it would make me play better. I mean, she wasn't Mm, wrong. Right. But man, if that doesn't like really color 
how you view stuff. Yeah. Um, and yeah. to succeed, I needed to be angry. Mm-hmm. And man, that did plant a seed that I'm still working on digging up. Yeah. Um, I had to be angry to succeed and it worked. Right. Um, if I was angry, I wasn't going to be vulnerable also. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. protected me. If I was angry, I didn't have to think about anything else. I could feel right and righteous and mm. not worry about anything else. Uh, but yeah, I I got told a lot. And, and that's the, like the wild thing too, that we have people around us and we are both very intelligent women, but we've had people in our lives tell us that we are inadequate or stupid. Like right. I hate that fucking word. Mm-hmm. Um, Stupid. Yeah, mm-hmm. just because it was used as a weapon against me, mm-hmm. like frequently, and it it makes no sense mm-hmm. because that was not reality, right? However, it was a way for whoever was saying it to make themselves feel better. Mm-hmm. I know that now after therapy, but you know, yeah. I it was hard because I didn't have many adults telling me that I was worthy or telling mm-hmm. me that I was enough. Mm-hmm. Like just being a human. Right. We had a, a, a phrase that would come up often with my parents that good enough is neither. Oh, well, shit balls. Like how? Yikes. How, yeah. How? Yeah. And that's so not true in like the opposite right. of being a child. Like right. so anyone under the age of 18 um, is a child. I would argue mm-hmm. that I was a child until I was like 25. Well, your your frontal lobe is not fully formed until you're 25. So I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, if you can carry someone on your insurance, they're still a child. Yeah. Your health insurance. Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 So 25-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> and I stunted a lot of that with, you know, substances. And mm-hmm. it. I was... And I can only see this looking back now. And I alienated myself from them. But I had family members that really did try to give me, like, security mm. and stability and love. Mm-hmm. But their way was, like, kind of with a religious backdrop. Uh-huh. And that really rubbed me wrong because I had been... I mean, shunned is a hard word. I'm not Amish. It's not like I was disconnected from my family or anything like that. But I was I was a hellion. I'm going to take <laughs> accountability for, for that part as well. Mm-hmm. But I was asked not to come back to a particular place mm. because I was too much for them. Or I asked, I asked too many questions, which has not changed. So mm. they would not want me back even now. Yeah. But I was, I was shown love. I had those moments that would pop up like you're talking about with your coach that I had someone that did really see me, mm-hmm. but it wasn't frequent enough. You know what I mean? Like right. as kids, they, I, I'm going to speak for me because I don't have kids. I needed that a lot. Right. Like, especially with all the hormones and it, like I needed yes. to be told that I was enough, that I was okay, that I was not an alien. Mm-hmm. Like I was fine, that I was loved no matter what. It didn't rely on anything. It was unconditional. Right. As it should be. Mm -hmm. But it just wasn't, Mm -hmm. you know, and those that it was unconditional from, I had walls up Mm -hmm. in front of, or I wasn't able to see it because I was too young or, you know. Well, you needed that to survive. Yes. And you Mm -hmm. had said something before with the, I think you, you, you said that it worked. The anger worked. Yes, it did. Well, what I would like to suggest, and because it's been suggested to me and it is like a roundhouse kick to the head, it works (laughs) until it doesn't. Yep. Whether it is anger or attitudes about sex or alcohol or food. Fuck. Um, (laughs) Busyness. Ooh, yeah. How often are we busy because we don't want to sit down and consider what in our life sucks? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it all comes back to the note I wrote here is when you know, the, the pressure to be perfect and hide things, mm. the numbing is what relieved that pressure. Yeah. So I talked a few episodes ago about having a really difficult conversation and all I wanted was ice cream and cookies Yeah. because that was going to relieve that pressure. 
yes, it would have worked, Mm -hmm. but also what works is stepping through that pain. Yes. So these coping mechanisms we're talking about, that is what kept us safe when we were kids. Yep. And it blurts out in all kind of inconvenient, dysfunctional ways as adults. Mm, Yes. Which is what we talk about every damn week. Yes, it is. And it it doesn't, like, I notice new ones all the time. Um, Not to say that it's endless, but sometimes it can feel that way. And sometimes they're corollaries of a current one. Yes. And it's just an offshoot of the core one that I have not completely dealt with. And it is. It truly does color. I mean, your your upbringing affects who you are as an adult. And if you don't yeah. take the time to pause and quit running from that pain mm-hmm. and look at it, or even if it's not painful, for those of you that had an idyllic childhood, whatever that looked like for you, I know, I know. But it, it happens. It does. I swear to God, I've talked to people um, <laughs> who have gone to therapy. But it... it if you're not at least pausing to say, okay, what coping mechanisms am I still using that I don't need anymore? Mm-hmm. Like what knee-jerk reactions are causing me to fuck things up more than fix things? Yep. And that can be good stuff. That could be good stuff. Bad coping mechanisms can look good. Productivity. Yes. Busyness. Exercise. Dieting. Your kids are first in your life no matter what. Yes. Which, oh, I have... I don't have kids, but I have very strong opinions about that just from previous experience with, you know, you, you have to fill your own cup before Mm -hmm. you can pour into somebody else. Mm -hmm. And if you don't heal yourself, you're not going to be able to do anything. You're always going to have crazy reactions to other people Mm -hmm. because you haven't dealt with what's going on in you and in me (laughs) I need to keep speaking about myself yeah but yeah it's it truly is something where I'm evaluating on a consistent basis like am I happy with the way that I react to certain things yeah well let's talk about that a little bit more because how does someone know when something is a coping mechanism Mm. and how do they know when it's not working for them anymore well, for me, it's pain. If it's causing me more pain, uh huh, or if it's causing me to lie, or mm. if it's causing me to just extend a situation or avoid it, mm-hmm. that's when I know it's not working. But it's just a, a form of pain. Yeah. Um. So it almost starts the the flip side. So you recognize the pain. This isn't yes. working. Yep. And it's those damn five whys again. Why isn't this working? Mm-hmm. Uh, why am I doing it that way? If it is working, why yeah. did I ever start doing it? Th- oh, yes. that's why I started the doing it that way. The answer is childhood trauma. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or teenage trauma. Or like just a shitty coping mechanism that you developed. You know right. what I mean? Like right. it, it truly, for me, now I can recognize, okay, it's this character defect coming up again. Or it's anger mm-hmm. or it's whatever. Like now it's. It's pretty glaring most of the time, but truly, if I don't know, I just, yeah, I sit with it Yeah, and ask myself why, like, why am I in pain? Like, why is this not working anymore? Again, just what you said, when did it work last? Mm -hmm. Like truly. That's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. Did it ever work? Yeah. Is this hurting someone else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where I notice it a lot. Because too. I truly don't think we want to hurt someone else. No. Like you're saying about the lying. I don't want to be a lying, a hurting people liar. Yeah, exactly. So that's not working for me anymore. Yeah. And let's forget the self-flagellation of, oh, I'm a terrible person because I've just hurt this person. Like, yeah. okay, now that I'm aware of it, I'm not going to be doing that hurtful exactly. thing Exactly. How can you not do it? Like, right. let's see what work you can do to not be that person. Because... We are not in the business of being martyrs. We no. are not going to encourage anyone to be a martyr Mm-mm. and go back and apologize. I'm so sorry, Janae, that I hurt you 10 yeah. years ago doing this. Because going back and throwing yourself um, on the fire of that issue makes the other person have to forgive you. It's not their damn business to no. make you feel better about yourself. It is not. It is yeah. your business to excavate all of that, yep. get the margins of whatever cancer that was that you're digging out yep. 
and do better. Yes. Do better. Be better. Because you are going to have backslides. You're going to have a hard time breaking old patterns. Yeah. But once you become aware of something, that is what changes your behavior and your trajectory. Mm. And that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about, that's part of what I'm talking about with sustainable, the, the concept of sustainable productivity. Yeah. It goes to the definition of productivity. Like, what am I trying to do? Am I trying to be a liar in my life? Yeah. No. So therefore, yep. full stop. That yep. is no longer serving me. That is not sustainable because it's not sustainably productive because it's not productive. Yeah. Yep. And now knowing that being a liar isn't what I want to do, yeah. it's no longer sustainable. Yeah. Boom, and you now are. you have to say, okay, well, how do I make sure that I'm not in a position where I feel like I need to lie? And that's the mm-hmm. bigger, like, because I mean, not lying is a great aspiration to have for everyone, yes. but that means you have to set your life up in a way in which you don't lie. Yes. So that's a lot. If you're in a place where that's how you're living your life and I've been there Yes. And that's how I survived was to lie. And I realized I don't want to lie anymore. Well, that means I had to change my entire life. And sometimes you do. Sometimes it's little stuff. <laughs> sometimes it's like, I don't want to be the type of person that only makes ramen noodles for dinner right. or orders takeout every night. Right. So I'm going to maybe try out a new recipe. Or it could be like, I, for me, I was like, I got to get sober. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't not. I don't want to do double negatives because then I'm going to confuse myself. <laughs> I don't want to lie anymore. Yeah. I have to lie if I want to keep living my life this way and drinking. Well, shit. That means I have to stop. Mm-hmm. Okay. How do I do that? And mm-hmm. then the more excavating. Okay. Why, why did I drink? Cause mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. my thing was, I know that I would drink again if I didn't work on why. Right. Like why, what pain was I in that I thought I needed to fix it with this, you know, Mm -hmm. or anything, attention, food, exercise, reading, anything Mm -hmm. like dealing with that core issue. Right. Makes it to where you don't have to have a coping mechanism anymore. Yeah. And something that I've been spending a lot of time thinking, because I'm I'm too afraid to do anything about it is it comes (laughs) back to acknowledging you have wants and desires. Yeah. So, and I think the sobriety example is massive and it is made up of a million small wants and desires. Yeah. So for example, yesterday or someday this week, um, I, we were watching TV and I had, you know, a pile of knitting on my lap and we do soda stream, you know, the water that you carbonate. And mine was empty. And I said, I sure wish I had a full soda stream. And my husband says, do you want me to get up and get it? And I said, I don't know. He said, yes, you do. Yeah. You know. I said, if you know, of course, I got angry. Why are you making me say it? (laughs) He was like, I want you to ask for what you want. Yes. And y'all, we're talking about water. Mm-hmm. Water. Luke does that to me all the time. Why can't I ask for a goddamn bottle of water? Girl, I don't know. I'm right Is there it with you. Carbonated? I don't know. No. Let's not make a joke. Yeah. Stay for stay. real. And it's the the other like next level of that for me is like I'll make an aside comment like that. And I mean he does it too. Oh, I'm Captain Passive Aggressive. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say I wish I whatever or I want this or I wish you had done that. And then he'll go do it. A would see my water bottles empty <laughs> without me asking. <laughs> but not even that. He'll acquiesce and do what either he rebuffed at first or didn't want to do or whatever. Uh-huh. And then I try to tell him to not do it. Yes. Then I'm like, oh, wait, no, no, no. Even though it is what I really want him to do. Now I feel guilty. Because I've somehow manipulated him into this, which could be some truth in that sometimes. But, you know, he's genuinely, he wants to make me happy and I feel the same way about him. And then I'll, I'll be like, oh, wait, no, actually don't do it. Like, no, I'm over it. I don't want it anymore. Like, (laughs) right, right. Well, I'm going to bring us back full circle because that martyrdom and not asking for what I wanted mm. or voicing what I yes, wanted. Voice, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm asking, just not in a healthy way. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I was raised that we knew my mom was mad when all the cabinet doors would slam. Mm. And 
uh, someone could argue that that is announcing that you want something. Yes. Attention. But we don't know what it is. Yeah. So boy, we were on eggshells because we never knew. Yes. What it was that was going to How make. do you please her? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember I thought I was so clever. I don't know where I was. Like some, I don't know. It might have even been the book fair at school. I bought a poster that says a mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Like I thought I was uh, bringing like a golden rule into the house. Yeah. She was not pleased. <laughs> that got put up in the basement oh where God. all of the yucky bugs were. Oh, um, I love that, though. Which also told me, you know, a story, of course, that we don't tell the truth. Yes. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's like the ultimate coping mechanism in those situations. That's right. We've got a whole elephant herd in yeah. the house, and we're not going to talk about any of them in yep. the living room. Everything's fine. Don't look over there. Yeah. Which we learned last episode is fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. Yes. yes, Everything's fine. Everything's fine. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it is that cover it up. Don't look at it. And I think that that is where a lot of healing for me as a child came. And I think this is a good place for us to, to sit on and end on because I want to know your thoughts too. As a child, I have no responsibility for those coping mechanisms. I was a child. Correct. Um, that that I was a product of my environment and the things that were going on, the chemicals in my body. I needed things that were not given to me. Mm-hmm. And I developed coping mechanisms to survive. Mm-hmm. Caveat there ended. However, as an adult, it is my responsibility once I notice them to heal myself. So that I am not treating people like they are my mother anymore. Mm -hmm. Because that's not okay. Right. I agree 99% of what you just said. The only edit I would suggest is taking out the word however and saying and. Mm. We are not responsible for our coping mechanisms. And now that we are, it is our responsibility to do something different. Yeah. Yeah. Ask for the yeah, ask for the water. Ask for help from somebody. Whatever your water is, yeah, ask for it. Seek it. And I mean, we're so lucky to have so much access to different paths of healing. That's they can right. be anything. You want a silent retreat. You can go get Reiki. You can go to a therapist. You can go mm-hmm. to a therapist on your phone. Like, right? wow. Right. Well, that's what I was going to say, too. You know, if all of... We do reference recovery and sobriety, and if that feels super scary, yeah, all you need to do is Google AA near me, and you're going to find a zillion yes. Zoom meetings. Yes, you are. That you, you can, can leave your camera, your camera off, off yes. and join and just hear what it's about. Yeah, and if you you can reach out to us, and we can send you a link for your city. I mean, there's right. local ones, too, and if you don't have an issue with a substance or food or sex or whatever, which I would argue, I think a lot of people don't realize how much they use stuff. Mm -hmm. If it crosses over into addiction is a a gray area, but Mm -hmm. therapy, I think everyone in the fucking world needs therapy. I don't care if you're the most well-adjusted person on the planet or you're the daughter of the Dalai Lama, like you need therapy. And a lot of therapists um, have a sliding scale. Yes. So if you don't have insurance all the way down to, if you don't have a job. Yep. And there's group therapy mm-hmm. that is mostly free at community centers. Um, there should be something in your local community or very close to you. There's a lot of programs and grants that are, that yes. fund those groups as well. One thing I would ask, um, <laughs> uh, uh, cause we both are proponents of reading mm-hmm. and deep diving into, issues when you go get a book on this please shop in the recovery section (laughs) not in the self-help section please god um i have zero interest in self-help gurus who are also rapists and sexual predators yeah i have zero interest in um money-making organizations who abuse (laughs) humans of all kinds yes Recovery section of your local bookstore is going to have things like eating disorder, Mm -hmm. um, childhood abuse, childhood trauma of all kinds, Mm -hmm. as well as more adult issues of, um, well, all of those turn into adult issues, right? Um, So please think about what, 
Uh, I don't even know what a call I, to action I have could a be. Big, yes. I have a big caveat for that because I completely agree. And that is kind of the whole, it's what we talk about all the time on here. And I think that it's driving that home is a wonderful idea. This is not self-help. Correct. Susan and I are not sitting here saying that we did this on our own and we figured it out. Like yeah. hundreds of people we have not figured it out. No. First off that. Yes. We haven't figured it out. We're still in that. And I hope to be there forever because that's how I grow is constant work. But I've had hundreds of people help me. I've had therapy. I've had a, a higher power, which if that's available for you, awesome. If not, hey, just go look at a flower and be in awe of like, mm. unless you're a freaking, I don't even know what version of a scientist you would be to know how to genetically make a flower. You can't <laughs> comprehend being able to have that much power to create a flower. So just, just like put yourself in situations where you feel it all, because this is not self-help. Mm -hmm. If you could have self-helped yourself, <laughs> you wouldn't be dealing with this stuff. It would be gone yeah. already. Yeah. I read a million self-help books before I went into like therapy and then recovery and all that. Mm -hmm. It did nothing. Mm -hmm. Then it just made me obsessed with something else. Right. And keep covering it up. Keep covering it up. On my own, I am not able to change this stuff. I'm just not. Yeah. And that's not what this is about. This is seeking community. This is seeking therapy. This is seeking recovery, higher power, any or all of those things. But it's mm -hmm. it's less so about you trying to power through it. That's the opposite of what we're talking about. That's right. Be pausing and admitting that you are not strong enough to handle all of this. None of us are. It's big mm -hmm. deal stuff. Yep. And you need something outside of yourself to soften that, to give you strength, to help you, someone to show you the way and put that flashlight on the potholes mm -hmm. and, and to be able to do it in a healthy way because our mind can be a scary place to be and you need someone to, to help give you perspective. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. No self-help here. Please, nope. God. <laughs> Well, I think with that perspective, I also want to leave people with hope. So let's yes. do our um, Wind in Our Sales segment here at the end. Yes. Um, do you have something in mind? Hmm. You know, I, speaking of like touching on cooking, I made a killer freaking dish the other day. And I mean, it's from a cookbook. I don't like come up with this stuff on my own. That's not where I'm at yeah. in life. And I don't ever want to be there. That's just, I mean, I never say never, but you know, mm -hmm. I, that's not where I want to be right now. Mm -hmm. I have no desire for that. I need the ease, but damn, it was good. And I'm starting to realize the nuance mm. of some of the cooking like terms and techniques yeah. And the difference that slicing a mushroom thin versus the pre-cut thick chunks makes and mm -hmm. a thickening, like the perfect place to stop thickening something. Mm -hmm. And it is just like the little pleasure in that, the tiny leveling up mm -hmm. that I feel in like that area and like other areas of my life, just those little things. Yeah. It's just so cool. And it's it's like a whole, it's a separate reality that I thought was close to me. Mm -hmm. This sounds very woo-woo, but this is like how I view stuff. It's like a whole nother reality that is now open to me mm. that I couldn't see before. Mm -hmm. And it's a whole nother level of like caramelization or browning. Like girl, just within like the past six months, I realize, I truly realized what browning meat meant. Like, and I'm talking ground meat, not steaks. Mm -hmm. I realize what steak browning is like uh -huh. super hard caramelization, crispy. Right. But browning meat doesn't just mean cooking it to make it brown. It means like actual texture and like oh. crunchy, like good yeah. browned meat. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. I thought it meant turning the meat browns. It's cooked all That's the way through. That's what I thought it meant. Yes. Okay. It's not. <laughs> it means it's sticking to the pan a little bit. Huh. It's getting crispy on some pieces. Like that's browning meat. Well, that, that as I'm thinking of when browned meat comes out, I'm not the cook. So when I see it and I taste it, that's what it is. It's yeah. crazy. And like the difference and the flavor. And it's, this is, and it's kind of going back to what we just talked about. You know, those little adjustments mm -hmm. making such a big difference and giving even more hope to what we just slogged through. Yeah. All of this happened very slowly. 
Healing took a lot of time and it was tiny adjustments over years and years that Mm -hmm. made every day a little bit easier and that problem a little bit less painful and my growth a little bit more. Yeah. And being able to notice when that's happening, because sometimes Mm -hmm. it can be so slow that you don't really get it, to have like a specific moment, like this cooking, the browning of the meat, where you're like, holy crap. Right. I've crossed over a threshold here. It's just really cool. Well, it seems like it's made, you've gone from, so there's, When when we're stressed, we have fight or flight, but now there's this freeze that's come up in the last five years or so that people acknowledge. And in trauma, my response is to freeze. Mm. Like I'm just, I'm overwhelmed. I sometimes literally will like sit very quiet and still. Yeah. So it's almost like you're you're frozen in the recipe. This is what I'm doing. I'm yes. just going to follow it. I'm going to read it. I'm going to be done with it. And as you soften those edges and uh-huh. that's part of your recovery. I'm enjoying it instead of just and it's becoming artistic in its flow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that that's what it's all about. Yeah. And that is exactly the spirit and intent of this segment too is yes. The moment of lift when something, you know, just really Yeah. uh fits. Tell me about yours. Um, mine, um, this sort of attaches to the episode. I didn't even mean for it to, but the timing is perfect. Um, my nieces are coming next week and half the time, um, my sister is going to be with us. And then half the time she will be gone with her husband on their er early anniversary trip. So I'll be with them just by myself. Yeah. And you know, I am a stepmother, and so I feel like I parent them, mm-hmm. and I don't have biological kids of my own, but then I also feel like to a certain extent, I am I get to parent my nieces a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not talking like the discipline, blah, blah, blah. No, the fun I'm, things. <laughs> yeah, the fun things, and also I think it gives me a chance to do stuff over. Yes. Like, I am no longer 20-something-year-old Sue punishing childhood Sue yeah. um, with my behavior or locked in those patterns. Yeah. I'm working on breaking out of those, but my kids are 18 and 20, but then I have my nieces who are 10 and 13. Yeah. Those are really formative ages. You get to give them what you needed. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I'm really looking forward to it. We have some really fun things planned. Um, So if any listeners want to see that, when this episode comes out, we'll be in the thick of it. So come to social media. You can see some goat yoga happening. Hopefully we'll have, you know, goat standing on us. Yes. I think I say hopefully we'll. Hopefully. That's a good hope. Is it? Do yes. I want a goat standing on me? It was great. I've done it. It was wonderful. Highly recommend. Okay. <laughs> They're not very heavy. Uh, well, the hoofs. I'm right about the hoofs. The joy compensates. Okay. Yeah. Oh, because sometimes you have to get through the pain to get to the joy. Yeah. Are we wrapping up on that cheesy note? <laughs> and if you want to check us out on Instagram, um, it is sustainable underscore Sue and sustainable Sue.com. Yep. And I am at Janae PV. If you need to spell that, it's in the show notes. I understand. <laughs> um, or at renewplanner.com. If you want to reach out to us, like a personal message, Feel free to direct messages on the uh, podcast Instagram, which is Conscious Contact Podcast, or send us an email, um, sue at sustainablesue.com or janae at renewplanner.com. We would love to hear from you. Um, Obviously, what you say stays with us if that's what you need, but we'll have resources in the downlink too in case you don't want to ask. But yeah, I I hope for growth for everybody, Mm. and uh, I can't wait to talk to you next week. Thank you. This is great. See ya.